it's very important to remember that some of the rules that we've been operating under are temporary. And this is a very stark reminder of some of those flexibilities uh, going away. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of EMS One Stop. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence, and today we're going to talk about the end of the world. No, we're not. We're going to talk about the end of the public health emergency, and by the time you've finished listening to our guest, you may think we're at the end of the world, but I'll leave that for you to decide. So my guest today is a returning guest and hopefully friend of the show, Doug Wolfberg. Doug, how are you, man? Good, Rob. Definitely you can count me as a friend of the show. Excellent. Thank you very much. So what we know is that the COVID-19 public health emergency was declared on uh, uh, 1-31-2020, seems like an age ago, and now it's coming to an end. And so there was a ton of stuff, and that stuff we'll discuss shortly, we were allowed to do, we were permitted to do, there were waivers, exceptions, rule changes And of course, with the end of the public health emergency, all that's coming to an end. And so my theory is that in the last two and a half to three years, we've had a changeover of staff. We've had people that have worked in nothing but pandemic conditions. We've had to test and adjust our practices, procedures, techniques. And that's all coming to a stop, as I say, on May the 11th. And so really, just to kind of kick us off, give us an overview, and then we can sort of drill down into the detail of what we could do and what we're about to not be able to do. Yeah, thanks for the introduction. That's really an astute observation because some folks, you know, these these rule changes have become really kind of normal operating procedure for many folks. Uh, And three years is a long time. It's like dog years or something, you know, in the pandemic. So yeah, it's very important to remember that some of the rules that we've been operating under are temporary. And this is a very stark reminder of some of those flexibilities uh, going away. It's interesting that CMS always referred to those, uh, CMS is the Medicare agency, by the way, that they always referred to these uh, waivers as flexibilities, and now they're taking them away, which I guess implies we're no longer going to be flexible with you. Uh, but yeah, there's a host of, of things that I think have become, in a way, sort of standard operating procedure that do abruptly go away. So that is, that is important, and it's a, very, it's a great setup that you did there. So before we get drilled down into it, I want to end with the conclusion. And actually, I I was on a session that you delivered this week, which really prompted me to, and thank you, by the way, for coming onto the podcast with less than 36 hours notice. I really appreciate that. But I think this is really timely information, given the fact that we're up to the deadline of the change. One of the things you said is that we need to build a time capsule. In other words, all of these rules, regulations, waivers that have been in place not only are they going away, but also they may be erased from the reference points and websites and uh, you know points that you normally access this information from, particularly from federal websites. And so you need to preserve this evidence, if you like, Your Honour, in case the auditors and others come calling. And so this really, and, and I'm starting, it, it's almost the bluff. It's the, it's the bottom line up front, right? So that's what you need to do by the time you finish listening to Doug talk about what was in and now what's about to be out. Um, so 
moving on, let's just sort of pick up on you know the the, the big ticket items as far as as you know ad- administering EMS and particularly anything that's resulting going to result in you creating an invoice for reimbursement that's about to be thrown back in your face. So you know what's about to change. Well, I think the biggest ticket item is the guidance that deals with getting patient signatures at the time of service. Uh, This is always, always consistently for years on end, one of the things that EMS practitioners uh, probably dislike the most, which is having to ask patients for signatures uh, at the time of service. Uh, Oftentimes, PCRs are turned in without those signatures and the folks in the billing office have to chase those down by mail or fax, or try to get the patients to return those signatures long after they've already had the services rendered. So, uh, But in any event, during the pandemic, CMS said, due to this risk of cross-contamination of EPCR pens and tablets and devices, that if, if the patient was known to have COVID or even had symptoms that could be suggestive of COVID, that that patient could give verbal consent to the EMS providers to sign for them. Now, that is not a normal signature capture uh, approved technique for the CMS rules for Medicare patients. That has, I think, been probably the the waiver or the flexibility that has been the most normalized during the pandemic is this ability for a patient to say, yeah, just go ahead, sign for me, and the crew signs that statement. That goes away abruptly, as you've said, uh, starting May 12th. Uh, since May 11th is the last day of the public health emergency. That, I think, is the biggest one. So we revert back to the standard inflexible uh, Medicare signature rules, which means that the patient needs to be the signer. And the only time that you can get a signature from anyone else is if that patient is physically or mentally incapable of signing that statement. We'd always had that kind of auditing issue where certainly in EPCRs that I got involved with as a chief is, you know, Medic A always just used the term putts, patient unable to sign. And that was the quick fix, if you like, for the for the PCR then. Obviously, we had some flexibility. So, you know, that bad habit or that muscle memory needs to be adjusted. Listen, leaders, needs to be adjusted now and quickly before, in, you know, in, in next week by the time this podcast comes out. So that's thing number one that we need to think about. That's your biggest ticket item, but you've got a ton of tickets. What's ticket number two? Well, not only does PUTS need to go by the wayside, but we also, in addition to to asserting that the patient is unable to sign, we need RUTS, the reason that they're unable to sign. We do, it's required to be able to document the, the physical or mental reason that that patient can't sign. So th- that's that that's part and parcel with what you said about the uh, uh, about the patient uh, signature issue. I'd say the the second biggest ticket item uh, in the expiration of all of these uh, CMS authorities is one that not as you know every ambulance service needs to get patient signatures. So that one is universal. The second one is big, but it's not quite as universal. And that is some changes with telehealth. Now, more and more ambulance services and EMS agencies are sort of using these telehealth flexibilities not only to avoid uh, deployment costs, right? Because if we transport patients to EDs that are low acuity, we know that in many systems, we're going to be parked for hours at that 
at that hospital with extended offload times. So some systems have looked at telehealth not or treatment in, in, on scene, treatment in place, not just as good patient modalities, but as good deployment cost avoidance mechanisms, recognizing that, of course, everybody who calls 911 doesn't need a ride to the hospital. During the pandemic, CMS extended origination sites for telehealth reimbursement to include patient residences. Now, all of the other flexibilities expire May 11th. Congress stepped in and extended the telehealth origination site to, you know, that including patient homes as an origination site through December of 2024. So when we hear about all these telehealth flexibilities expiring, those agencies that have entered into agreements with telehealth providers like physicians or other advanced practice providers uh, to sort of share that reimbursement where EMS originates these telehealth interactions, that one actually continues beyond the expiration of the public health emergency until December of 2024. So that one is, is, is another sort of variation of this end of the public health emergency issue. So variation segues quite nicely into the next thing I wanted to talk about, and it's kind of linked to telehealth. And that's what uh, what they called TIP, treatment in place, what I call TILT, which is treatment in lieu of transport, right? Uh, and so and also the ability to take the patient, if you had the network and the pathway and everything set up, to an alternative destination. Um, that was a thing. I'm not sure how much it was widely used, but that required you to have protocols in place. And, and then that, in turn, comes back to your time capsule idea of anything, any protocols that you had, anything that's re related to the work that you've just done in the pandemic has to be preserved and to be ready to be presented, etc., but but our ability to to be reimbursed basically to go somewhere else other than an ED is also changing, right? Yeah, th and that's that's probably a much more universal one. Maybe that should have been my second one out of the gate. Sure, that's right. One of the other flexibilities that CMS implemented uh, was the uh, coverage of reimbursement for ambulance transports to alternative destinations, and this was extremely broad. I mean, CMS said that they would cover during the pandemic ambulance transport to any destination that was capable of providing the type of services that the patient required. So this opened up coverage for transports to clinics, doctor's office, mental health centers, uh, federally qualified health clinics, uh, you know, this whole range of, of alternative destinations. But you just said the key, the key issue here, which is that it, that didn't. That flexibility didn't just open the floodgates for ambulances to start going wherever they wanted. It could only happen if permitted by a local EMS protocol. So when we talk about the time capsule, not only should you collect copies of all of this federal guidance, because this is what we call sub-regulatory guidance. This isn't something you can look up in the Federal Register or the Code of Federal Regulations that lives there permanently. This informal guidance goes away. Some of it's already gone, by the way. Some of it's already scrubbed from the CMS websites. So when an auditor two or three years from now is trying to collect your money back for money you were paid during the pandemic, you need to be able to prove, well, wait a second. Yeah, I know normally Medicare doesn't pay to go to this destination, but this transport occurred in 2021 when this coverage guideline was in place. Then the auditor sits there with their arms folded and says, well, I'm sorry, I, I don't see that anywhere in the rules. 
and you whip out this guidance document that says, yeah, here's the date this was issued by CMS, because a lot of that stuff conveniently disappears. Uh, the second piece of that, though, is you could only take advantage of that if your clinical protocols at that time of service permitted the transport to that type of destination. So as our protocols change, are we archiving legacy copies, you know, copies of those legacy protocols at different points in time? Because it's what was in place on the date of service that determines whether you're going to be able to hang on to that reimbursement in an audit. Let me translate that into emergency management speak for a second, Doug, if I may, because I've been through enough natural disasters both in the UK and in the US to realize there was a great saying that the inquiry begins when the disaster does or when the incident does. In other words, from the point you start, everything has to be preserved because in the UK, there would be a board of inquiry. In the US, of course, you have to show show working to FEMA to get reimbursed. Think of it as this. In other words, you've got to preserve everything in order to prove that you did what you did. Now, before we go to the break, though, Doug, if you're an ET3 uh, enrollee and there's only 200 of you out there or 200 and so of you out there, it's not quite going to change back, is it? No, that's a good point. So this expanded temporary authority for alternative destinations that was pandemic-related is completely separate from the Medicare ET3 pilot program or demonstration project. That does have an alternative destination benefit in it, but as you said, that applies only to the 200 or so ambulance services that were selected and then entered into participation agreements with Medicare uh, for that demonstration project. So that continues. Uh, We don't think that has been highly utilized during the pandemic because of these other flexibilities. But uh, we hope that that program demonstrates its value because there is there is value in EMS providing care on scene, you know, performing non-transport interventions, going to non-hospital destinations, which are often more efficient. You may have quicker offload times. You may have less patient uh, weight. You may have lower bills, you know, and completely appropriate care settings. So, we certainly hope that demonstration project demonstrates that which we hope, you know, which we think it will. Thank you for that update. And uh, Doug, let's just pause to have a message from our sponsor. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L E X I P O L.com. So don't forget, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Amazon Music. And hey, don't forget, if you are enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on the platform that you're listening to us on. And of course, with my guests, we're going to get five stars all the way. Uh, I'm here with Doug Wolfberg. We're talking about the end of the public health emergency. If you're listening to this on May the 13th, and here's a nice segue, Doug, all your troubles actually haven't gone away because you need to uh, uh, preserve everything. And talking about uh, yesterday, Doug, uh, before we get back into the swing of things, you've written a book. I have, yeah. It has nothing to do with EMS or the law. It's about the Beatles. It's called The Beatles, Fab But True. See what I did there? Fab But True. Remarkable Stories Revealed. It is already uh, available for pre-sale on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the places we buy books online. And it physically drops in August uh, of 2023. So thank you for, uh, for mentioning that. 
Now we're going to give it a big plug because also uh, one of the things you told me before we started recording, and I know that uh, people like Tony O'Brien and Tim Perkins are going to listen to this because I'm going to tag them, but you've got a gig coming up when you get to the UK to promote your book, right? I do. I, I expect that I'll be performing a few songs at the Cavern Club in Liverpool. Uh, this has sort of been prearranged, uh, and that is the club where the Beatles were sort of quote-unquote discovered by their manager, Brian Epstein, and where they played more often than any other venue in the world. So it is, uh, it is mecca for Beatles fans. And even if you're not a huge Beatles fan, it's an amazing, fun bar uh, to hang out in. It's just a, just a place. It's loads of fun. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm putting together what I hope will be a mini book tour in, uh, in a few spots in the UK and uh, may, may even involve whipping out a guitar a few, few places. Excellent. So we'll, we'll, we'll whip up a media storm on the PR for this for you, Doug, and you'll get more followers than when James Corden took Paul McCartney back to the cavern. Final question on that before we move on to the serious stuff. You're in the cavern, right? Hypothetical, perhaps, question. I'm going to give you two songs only to play down there. What are those two songs going to be? Oh, man. You know, I, I would have to say Help because it's always an up It's a good up-tempo song that everybody likes, everybody knows. And then probably just for my own uh, my own fun. I would probably uh, play A Day in the Life, uh, which I have a pretty cool acoustic guitar arrangement of, despite all the orchestration and thing that happens in the song, uh, just to keep people on their toes. So uh, I, have, I have to give it some thought, but right off the top of my head, those would be the two. Okay, this is one of those moments where I say to you, hey, see what I did there? But, uh, you know, back in the pandemic, uh, you know, when all of our troubles seem so far away, we could put anybody we want on the ambulance. Yeah, that's a great point. So during the pandemic, there was a staffing waiver or flexibility that was that deferred to state rules. So many states said during the pandemic, we understand staffing is very difficult. And some states actually lowered the staffing standards. And uh, some states allowed uh, EMRs, emergency medical responders, to take the place of an EMT. Uh, some states had two paramedic crew requirements for ALS. They reduced that to one. Uh, so it depends on what the state allowed, but where the state allowed a staffing flexibility, CMS said, we'll cover that. We'll pay for services below that. That goes away too, uh, starting May 12th. Now we, we all live by the Medicare staffing standards, which if for BLS is at least one EMT and for ALS is at least one AEMT or paramedic and you have to meet whatever state rules are in place for staffing. So, but the minimum would be what Medicare prescribes starting May 12th. So let's stay on the truck and talk about the truck. Of course, there's licensing issues. You may have gotten away with stuff before, um, and now rules are back in place. Yeah, that's right. One of the other flexibilities that CMS put in place was if a state was giving ambulance services grace periods under their department or agency licenses, because physically, some inspectors, you know, states couldn't send inspectors out during the pandemic uh, due to lockdowns and other, you know, other rules or restrictions, uh, remote work and all these other things that really made it difficult for states and EMS agencies to get out and reinspect these ambulances or these uh, agencies as their licenses were expiring. So some states allowed those agencies to continue even with expired licenses. Medicare deferred to that as well and would cover ambulance services, even those provided by 
an agency with an expired license if the state was extending those grace periods. That flexibility evaporates starting May 12th. Also, I'm just going to throw in another real world one is because of the pandemic. Certainly here in California, we had lots of waivers and exceptions around contractual mileage caps on your trucks. Now, this links back to, you know, availability of chips and availability of ambulances. And of course, we, you know, blamed COVID for not being able to get new trucks. And then they said, okay, well, you can go over the 200,000 miles on your truck before you have to renew it, et cetera. You know, it's not a CMS rule, but that might go away too because they may say, well, the pandemic's over now and all bets are off. So you need to think about all those things that you agreed on because of the public health emergency. Yeah, it's a great point. That would be, particularly in California, mostly under local EMS agency contracts, I think, where those rechassing and replacement standards usually come into play. Is that your experience as well? Indeed, indeed. And so obviously we're working with uh, everybody, but uh, it's one of those things you just need to have on your checklist, I think. Uh, that's that's the important bit. It's a great point. What else haven't we covered that we need to think about? I think we've certainly hit the highlights here. Um, there's one, one more that deals with a, a flexibility on those non-emergency physician certification statements or PCS forms, which we get from doctors and from facilities to document medical necessity uh, for these non-emergency transports. There was a tiny bit of flexibility on those signatures, but it was really what we call audit bait. It was a trap. CMS essentially said, we're not going to audit PCS signatures unless we feel we need to audit PCS signatures. So it was a a circuitous, uh, non-flexible flexibility, uh, but even that goes away. So our advice has always been do not cut corners on your PCS signatures. Make sure they are signed only by authorized PCS signers and that you have those PCS documents in hand uh, for these non-emergency transports. Excellent. Wise words. And thank you very much. Uh, We'll keep this short and sweet because A, we need to get the podcast out. B, if you're a leader, a manager, a boss in the corner office, pay attention to this podcast because A, there are things that you can do no more. Uh, Listen to Doug's wise words about curating and saving everything that you've used as a reference document or a regulation or a rule or a protocol or a practice or a procedure. I could go on, but the point is act now and save your work. Um, So for the moment, Doug, of course, uh, how can we follow you and how can we possibly get more resource on this subject? Yeah, so thanks. Uh, You can follow PWW Advisory Group and Paige Wolfbergenworth on LinkedIn. You can also connect with me personally on LinkedIn. Uh, Our firms are also on Facebook and all the usual social media places. And uh, of course, folks can visit pwwemslaw.com or pwwadvisorygroup.com. Wonderful. And all the stuff that we've discussed and all the links will be in the show notes. And so for the moment, and I know I'll have you back, I hope, uh, Doug, thanks very much. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it as always. Great. That was, of course, the insightful and sage that is Doug Wolfberg. You can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1 or over on LinkedIn. Uh, For the moment, this has been EMS One Stop. My guest was Doug Wolfberg. Until next time, bye for now.